for the past several weeks already, we've been under this theme of Christian, a new humanity in Christ Jesus, a new humanity in Christ Jesus, a new humanity in Christ Jesus. We were made new at the cross. We were made new at the cross. You were made new at the cross. You were made new at the cross. And so because we were made new at the cross, and because Jesus did not stay in the tomb, he did not stay in the tomb, the reason why we congregate 2,000 plus, 2,000 plus years later is because he rose. Paul said if he did not rise from the grave, we would be the, we would be the most pitied. We would be the most pitied if we did all of this and Christ did not rise from the dead. And so to be a Christian is also to have faith that Jesus is not in the tomb. There are no bones there. There are no bones there. But he's risen and he's glorified. He's risen and he's glorified and he has taken all authority back. When the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, I know many of us think of that literally, and he could be there, literally, at the right hand. But the right hand of God refers to the dominion and the power and the blessing and the authority. That's what the right hand means. So when it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, it is for us, his church, to understand that Jesus now sits in utter authority, in utter dominion, in supremacy, and in his sovereignty. And so it is our faith. We're here today. I came to church today because Christ has risen from the grave. Yes. And because he's risen from the grave, he's also promised that a day is going to come when we will rise with him. The dead in Christ shall rise first, but we that are alive will be caught up and meet him in the air. That is why we're here. This is why we do not fear even when we don't understand what's happening in our world. This is why the church is the light of the world. This is why we are the salt of the world and we cannot lose our saltiness. We cannot lose our flavor. We are the hope. We have to agree, as Pastor Daniel said, that we, as a church, need to be the place when the world gets darker that they can come here and find light. So this is what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are light. We are not who we were. We are not who we were. We are not who we were. You got to tell yourself that. I got to tell my, I am not who I was. And when I start acting like who I was, when I start becoming who I was, I have to understand that then I am losing. I'm losing and I'm not experiencing the life that God has promised that is in him. And so I cannot be comfortable to be who I was because that is no longer my nature. It is not. The enemy wants you to lie and feel comfortable in that seat. He wants us to feel comfortable in that space. But in Christ, I'm a new creation. Let's read it, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are new. I've been made new. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. One of the greatest schemes, plans, tactics of the enemy 
is to try to bring that old person back. Trying to bring that old humanity back. Try to bring that old nature back. And he's been, he's been quite successful to many of us in different stages of our life. You know when you're doing good for a while and then all of a sudden you snap? Or how about we're made new in Christ Jesus, but then you tell yourself, no, I'm just always going to have this attitude. That's the enemy trying to bring an old nature back. At the cross when Jesus died, our old nature died. And at the grave when he got up, a new man got up in us. Christ now lives inside of us, and so we're living that life through Jesus Christ. That is how we're new men. Not necessarily because we got better, but because God got inside of us. And so now the life that I live, I live unto him. And that's what we're going to read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. We're continuing from last week. We spoke about alive and well. We spoke about sanctification, and we're going to continue. We'll finish off sanctification today. We're going to read the exact text from last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 from the New Living Translation. Verse 3 we'll also read in the New King James Version, but let's begin. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. He says, we urge you. We urge you. Do you know what it means to urge someone? It means to, to prompt and to try to compel them into, you know. So I'm, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. So this shows us too that Paul and, the, uh, and, and, and his fellow co-laborers in the kingdom were teaching. Thank God for their teaching. Thank God for their leadership. They actually sat down and taught the people to live in a way that pleases God. The church cannot lose this message. We cannot lose the message of, 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 of urging people to live in a way that pleases God. We have to live life, not just urge people to go to church. I urge you to come to youth night. I urge you to come to encounter night. I urge you to come here and I urge you to go there and I urge you to go to revival. We got to have those urges, but, but they have to be on a foundation of, I urge you to live in a way that pleases God. But we can't say that if we haven't taught that. But they have, and they taught this to the church in Thessalonia. It says, for you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Oh, I skipped the, the, the ending of that verse. It says, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. As I was reading this, I was like, wow, you would think that Paul is writing this letter to a church that is not living in a way that pleases God. And, and, and many of the other letters that he's written, like the, church, the, the letters to the Corinthians, that was a tough church, very tough church for, for, for Paul and the other. And so there was a lot of, of, of what we see written is because they were failing and he was correcting. But this letter to the church of Thessalonians, they were doing well. They didn't have the same issues like the church at Corinth, but even to the church that is doing well, even to the church that is doing good, we can never, let me tell you, the message can never get old, even when you're living good, to encourage and urge people to live in a way that pleases God. So he's not saying this because they're bad. 
He's saying this on top of them being good, but in order for them to remain good, you got to keep hearing the same message. You're doing good, and you're living in the way that we taught you, so we urge you to keep going forward. So today, this is wonderful, because the message of sanctification is not just for the person that is unsanctified. The message of sanctification is for the person that is sanctified, so that they can become more sanctified, for the person that is doing right, so that they can continue doing right, for the person that is trying to live righteous, to continue in righteousness. The message, this was a church that got it together, you could say. And he's still teaching them. Now, honestly, in the world that we live in, and the way how we do church, how many people are actually living right? And how much is the church and its leaders actually teaching people to? That's a bad combination. The church living bad and sinful, and then the teachers not even addressing the matter. So even when the church is doing right, we gotta, we got, the message still needs to be keep doing right. Even when the church is becoming more sanctified and more set apart and more righteous and more holy, we can't stop that message. You gotta keep it going, and this is what he does. Read 1 Corinthians verses 1, chapters 1 through 3. It's like, good job this, good job that. So great for you. Can't wait to see you. You're doing this awesome and that great. And all of a sudden, you would think there's a scandal in the church. There's not. But to keep them in the way of righteousness, the message must still be taught. So here's a tip for us parents. When your kid is doing good, tell them, keep doing good. That's what's happening. You're doing good, keep doing good, and make them aware of what's bad so they don't get sidetracked by it. Verse 2, sorry. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy. And look, so stay away from all sexual sin. They were not struggling with sexual sin. But he knows this is the lust that is within humanity. 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed. So he says, this is the will of God. Be holy. Control your, your inner lust. In the King James Version, we read this last week, it says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's will. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That was King James Version of verse 3. Verse 4. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Look, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Verse 7, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure ones. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A new humanity alive and well, we're going to continue on that theme. Just to recap us, and maybe you weren't here, the messages are available online, but we spoke about 
in the first two weeks of this series, we spoke about justification. How powerful is justification? How many people rejoice in the justification that's been uh, spoken over us, amen, that's been given to us? You've been justified. And so let's just go over the definitions. Justification is what? To be declared righteous in the sight of God. To be declared righteous in the sight of God. That's what it means to be justified. We have been given right standing before God because of whose work? The work of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so on the cross, we understand that the sin, our sins, right, the sins that you and I committed and the sins of the world were placed on Jesus. He became sin for us is what we just read. And then God, in his righteousness and in his justice, punished Jesus, not because Jesus sinned, but because he carried our sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus then, there's a transference. What you and I did was transferred over to Jesus, and his righteousness was imputed onto us. And so in that exchange, that is how we're justified. And in that exchange, then our account, the account of our lives, it, we're, be, we're given right standing before God. Not because of what we did, because of what Christ did. And so God saw that fit, and the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And so he bears our iniquities, and he bears our sins, and then he imputes his righteousness over us. And so then when God looks at us, we're seen as righteous before God. And so justification declares that I am righteous in the sight of God. What a beautiful picture, all right? But from justification, we need to understand that justification is speaking towards our sanctification. Justification is this, uh, to be declared righteous in the sight of God, sanctification is the process of becoming righteous in the sight of God. Two different things. One is you are righteous, not because you are, but because of what Christ did. But sanctification now is living out what was just spoken. And so we said this last week, that justification is actually, actually prophesying towards our sanctification. And this is powerful. If I say something to you or if some other Joe says something to you, words could just be words, but not in the case with God. God's words are not just words like me and Joe, okay? When God speaks, we, we, we mentioned this last week, that the whole foundations of the world and all creation was laid. Why? Because God spoke. And because he spoke, things became. So imagine what happens when God looks at us who were dead in sin, but because of what Christ does, now God is able to speak righteousness over us. That means then that there's power for us to become what God has spoken. Amen? Amen. So even though sanctification and words like righteousness and words like holiness are intimidating and they're scary, and they're like, this, this is not possible. Yes, if Joe speaks it over you, it's not possible. If Ezekiel speaks it over you, it's not possible. 
But the difference is that God, the creator of the heavens and the world, he declared that we are righteous. And so that means that there's, there's creative power in God's word. He spoke, let there be light, and all of a sudden light showed up. And the sun wasn't even created till a few days later. And then when he asked for the sun to show up and the moon and the stars, they're for times and seasons. And also, can you imagine just the galaxy being formed because he's, he's speaking? And then the waters and dry land appearing and then the heavens being filled with, with fowls of the air and then the land and the beasts of the field coming and vegetation and fruit and plant life, all because God spoke. He looked over the deep waters, the abyss. And his spirit hovered, and then he starts speaking, and life comes out of darkness. This is the power of our justification, that when, we, when, when God looked, and yes, we were dark, covered in sin, and alienated from him, and separated from him, his spirit hovered over us. And then his word of justification comes over us. So there's potential, there's potential on all of us, on all of us, for life to flourish. And this is what the church needs to understand in principle. If you don't understand that it is possible, then there's no way that it's going to become attainable. But you got to believe. And if you don't know that this is a calling, then you're never going to try to pursue it. And so the other thing to understand, as, sanct- as, as, as justification is prophesying onto our sanctification, then this is what sanctification is. Sanctification is not uh, an idea and not a suggestion. Sanctification is actually a calling. It's a calling. My sanctification is a calling. So when someone says, what's your calling? Well, I think I'm a, and, and how has the Lord called you? And, and if you don't know what to say, there's something big that you can say. My sanctification is my calling. You don't have to be called to be a pastor to have a calling. You don't have to be called an apostle to have a calling. You don't got to be called a teacher or an evangelist or a missionary or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader to have a calling. When we come to Christ, in Christ, there's already a calling. And that calling is our sanctification. We read it, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So I got to believe this. I got to believe this. I got to believe this. When the old man starts to come up, when the old man or the old woman starts to knock on the door of your heart and on the door of your mind, you need to tell yourself, sanctification is my calling. Sanctification is my calling. Go away. Don't come back. Get thee behind me, Satan. Whatever words you need to use to help you, get them ready. Write them down on a good day so that on a bad day, you can speak life to yourself. You can speak life to yourself. You can prophesy to yourself. No, I'm not. I'm not going to be that old man. I'm not going to be that old woman. So my, my sanctification is my calling. What would happen if the whole church did that? And we got off from our pedestals of third degree apostle, third degree bishop, fourth edition pastor, you know, second degree leader of the family. Like, can you imagine what would happen if we stepped off of those horses and and humbled ourselves to the point and said, sanctification is my service. And trust me, I, I, I believe, believe in secondary, second-degree pastors and bishops, and I believe in all of that stuff. But if it's not, look at this, right? We all know if it's not on a foundation of sanctification, then it means nothing. 
if it's not firm on sanctification, all of it will crumble. Amen? So justification, I am the righteousness of God, right? I, I am the righteousness of God. Know that that's prophetic unto sanctification because God declared you righteous, which there's nothing that God can declare and it not start to move. And so believe it or not, there's something down in your spirit that wants you to be sanctified. And so much that when we, when we listen to the old man and we go back, and after we satisfy and we please the old man, immediately you're like, oh, it wasn't worth it. That's the old man, right? The old man brought you there, but the new man is like, no, we didn't have to. We didn't have to. You didn't have to. And you're like, oh, you remember the cartoons, right? Like the little devil on one shoulder. And, and the little angel on the other. And we laugh. But I, I believe that's, that's a good picture for what's really happening sometimes. Okay. So we left off last week where we, we started to the conversation where Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Because we asked this question. How, is it even possible? Like God, is God seriously Calling us to righteousness? Is he even calling us to righteousness? Well, scripture, all over scripture. And for everyone who's like, I don't do good with the Old Testament, fine. All New Testament scripture. <laughs> I'm going to excuse you on that one. All of New Testament letters, epistles are all sanctification, sanctification. New Testament, Paul writes to the, the church uh, in, in Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. So when, when, when Christ died on the cross, I died too. He's not referring to his human flesh. He's referring to a, 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 a nature. He's referring to the person. He's referring to the, the, the person that was made up his whole identity. And from that identity, his thoughts were. From his identity, his passions were. He says, when Christ died on the cross, I was crucified with him. There, there, there was a part. Uh, I died with Christ on the cross. I was crucified with him. So look what he goes on to say. It is no longer I who live. So then how are you alive then? He says, but Christ lives in me, okay? So here's, an, here, here's another very important thing for us to understand. As Christians, God is not around you. God is not hovering over you. He's, he's, he's not six feet in front of you because of social distancing now. He's not six, you know, there's, there's not, God's not like, oh, well, you know, they put in that in place, and so now he's six feet, and he's just kind of watching and hoping, no. The Bible tells us this, that Christ now lives on the inside of us. Wait, wait. Christ lives on the inside of me? Yes. So now when we ask the question, but is sanctification really possible? Is, is becoming more and more sanctified possible? If Is becoming more and more righteous even possible? Christ lives on the inside of you. Okay, so when the old nature... The old man and the old woman start speaking to you. You say, Christ, I need you. <laughs> like, 
You got to know that Christ is there with you. So that also means that when you're in the moment of weakness, that there's access to Jesus. Because you don't got to, well, God, where are you? I hope you can come and say, he's there. He's there. And so I got to turn my attention. You got to turn your attention. You got to turn your heart over to, to Christ who is there. He's not hidden from you. He's not away from you. He's not hiding. He's not six feet apart. He is there. Scripture gives us this understanding. Scripture gives us this theology. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Look, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is Paul saying? The life that I live. So I've been crucified with Christ, not not me, not my body. I still have breath in my lungs. I am physically still here, but it's no longer with the old nature, the old me controlling and, 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 and it has the steering wheel. No, Christ now lives inside of me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, meaning in the physical, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians. And in Romans chapter 6, he's going to write to the church in Rome. He's going to address the issue here. He's going to address the issue of what we today will call hypergrace. Have you ever heard of hypergrace? Hypergrace. We thought hypergrace came around in this time and this moment, but no, he's, he's, he's addressing hypergrace. What is hypergrace? Well, we know what grace is. He just said it. He, he ended Galatians 2.20. I'm living this life in faith in the Son of God. Look, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we know about justification and we know how that, how that works. That was grace. Grace was God dying in my place so that I could have a new life in him. But that happens by my repentance of my sin. Okay? Someone can't put God's grace really over you. We could put prayers and we could put, you know, good intent. But ultimately, the individual comes to repentance, acknowledges their sin, and asks Jesus to come into their life and be the Lord. Have faith. We're called on to water baptism. The Holy Spirit comes. We're baptized with the Spirit. And then we live a new life in him. That happens by a means of us coming in faith and repentance and asking God to forgive us of our sin. Beautiful. That's a picture of grace, right? God's faithful and he's just to forgive us. Hyper grace is this, that after that moment happens, repentance goes out the window. Hyper grace is after that moment, it does not matter how I live because Christ died for my sin on the cross and it doesn't matter. All I need to do is say, Jesus, save me. I forgive of my sin. And it does not matter that I, that I still live bound to sin. It does not matter that I'm a slave to sin. I don't even have to ask God for forgiveness. God already covered all of that by when I said yes to him. And when I just think of the beautiful picture. And I have a picture of Jesus on the cross in my house. And I just look at that. And I say, I am the righteousness of God. And then I go out and I carelessly, without any regret, without any remorse, without any effort, I just go and I live how I used to live. But I have a stamp on my back. I got a tattoo of a cross. And I am good. Hypergrace says that hypergrace 
is anti-sanctification. Hypergrace is, it does not matter, and that Jesus does not care how I live. Because he died on the cross for all of my life, therefore it doesn't matter. And believe it or not, there are ways to manipulate that message. And there are ways that you can manipulate that message to yourself, and there's ways that I believe the church, the modern church, has manipulated that. But don't think that that's just a movement of the modern church. In Romans chapter 6, Paul already is addressing this hyper-grace. And this you can find all throughout New Testament scriptures. There's never anywhere in scripture that, 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 that is inclined to, this, to the teaching that Jesus does not care how I live after he saved me. It's the total opposite. That's what we'll find in Scripture. So look what in Romans 6, and we're going to read a bunch of verses. I'm going to try my best not to pause at all of them. But look, look, look at the addressing hypergrace, that it doesn't matter how I lived even after Jesus, God is Gucci with me. <laughs> and I encourage you, read the book of Romans all together. Read <laughs> chapter 7. We're going to go to verses there. Read chapter 8. Uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. And this is how we should create our theology about grace and about repentance and about forgiveness and about all the, and sanctification. Just read Romans. Read any, read any book in the Bible in the New Testament and it'll help you. Just please read. Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He, if there was any verse that was Trying to body slam hyper grace is this one. If there's any, any verse that's trying to get you out of that, is this verse. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? It's a rhetorical question. He answers it now. By no means, our English translation got an exclamation point. We are those who have died to sin. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? I've been crucified with Christ. Remember that? Here he says, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, look, we too may live a new life. He's not referring to glorification, which we're going to get into, meaning in the afterlife, you know, and then, yeah, we're dead in Christ, shall our eyes, and we're transformed. Yeah, that's glorification. But the new life that he's talking about is here up until that point. For us to live a new life now, there's no room for hyper grace here, that you just live however we want to live, and God is okay. He goes on to say, verse 5, for we have been united with him. In a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the stuff that I, we got to read. This is the stuff that I got to read and I got to believe. It's not enough to read the word of God if we don't believe the word of God. 
And so I'm glad that we all started new Bible plans this year. But if we're just reading every day to complete the assignment, if we're just reading every day to say I got it done, if we're just reading because I did this plan with my friend over there and I got to tell him that I read, if we just have it playing in the background while we're doing a million things, it's going to be hard to believe what you read. So we got to believe this. I got to believe that I have a resurrection like his. Trust me, this will help us in those moments. This will help us in those moments. You got to have also resurrection in your head when you're pinned in that corner. When you're pinned in that moment, pinned in that corner, and, and, and the old flesh is starting to talk loud, have, have resurrection. See a door that has resurrection on it to help you know that there's another way out. That there's a way of escape, as Paul says in, other, in another passage of Scripture. There's, a, there's another way out. You're not locked in a room with your old man, and there's no way out. No, Jesus has become a door. He's rolled the stone away. There's a door wide open onto resurrection and new life. So don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're in a room and there's no door. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him that so, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I got to tell myself, I am not a slave anymore. I am not a slave anymore. You are not a slave anymore. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So if I allowed my own sin nature to die when Christ was crucified, I'm no longer bound as a slave to sin. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. How many times? Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. In the same way, in the same way, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look how this is framing. Look how this is meant to frame our minds and to frame. Can you... When we're in those moments, just grab your Bible and start reading Romans. We have to grab our Bible and start reading Romans chapter 6. We got to get desperate. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. How beautiful, right? Don't offer any part of you as an instrument of sin. You remember when Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he's, he's, he's addressing matters of the heart to the people, and then he goes on to say this. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, 
He says, gouge it out and throw it away. Then he goes and says, and if your right hand, again, your, the place of authority, the place of power, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. And then he goes on to say about both those two things, it's better to lose one part of your body than to lose all of yourself. If he meant that physically, right, if he meant that literally, I don't think any of us would have heads, <laughs> any of us would have arms, would anyone have any eyes left? Would anyone have a heart left? Would anyone have anything beating left? But look at the degree. Look at the degree, the example that he's creating. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. In other words, he's saying, do whatever it takes to keep yourself sanctified. And it might hurt your body. And it might hurt your flesh, but do whatever you got to do to keep yourself from losing yourself. I wouldn't have any eyes. I wouldn't have a head. I'd probably be a pair of shoes standing up here. <laughs> and only if they were new, because God knows the places I went with my other ones, right? I just have my new socks up here. My pretty socks, that's all I got left. I have a pinky left. Uh, we're, okay. Verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He said, by no means. This is not super grace here. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have, be, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching, again, look, that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What causes a congregation, what causes a whole church in Rome, what causes a church in Corinth, what causes a church in Ephesus, what causes all of, uh, all of them to be in the mess that they're in? The lack of teaching. The lack of teaching. And so this is why Paul's letters is him constantly reinforcing the gospel to them, constantly reinforcing the teaching to them, constantly. He, Paul was not just a preacher that came into a city, put up a big revival banner, okay? Prophesy to everyone. Pray for the sick. Say that Jesus came into the city and then walk out. That, that, that's not what he did. And so whether you want to see Paul as an evangelist, whether you want to say that Paul is an apostle as he, as he declared, as he wrote, as he described himself, if you want to see Paul as an evangelist or a missionary, if you want to call Paul a pastor, I don't care, whatever you want, ambassador of the kingdom, whatever title, bishop of the churches, whatever we want to call Paul, 
He knew there was no such thing as revival unless you were willing to stay with those people, preach to them a gospel message, pray for the sick, do all the miraculous, but it meant nothing if he did not have time to remain with them and teach them. So we can't be fast to declare revival over a city, run into a neighborhood, drop a Holy Ghost bomb, and walk out because that doesn't, that doesn't work. It doesn't, it's not long-lasting. You know how long he was with the church of Corinth? A year and a half. You know how many letters he wrote? There were three. We only got two. And one of his letters to one of the churches, he says, and also read this letter to the church of Laodicea. We don't even have that letter anymore. We don't even have that letter to that beautiful church. We hear about it in, in Revelation where John writes and he says to the church in Laodicea, we know historically that it was a real place, but we don't even have that letter. So the amount of teaching, the amount of investment, that real revival comes with the gospel message, and then pouring, teaching, establishing leadership, discipling. That's the only way. And then you got to write a follow-up letter to check in on them. And then in all his letters, they don't, they have you noticed? I just can't wait to come and see you again. If God allows, I can't wait to visit you. We haven't stopped praying for you since the first time that we knew that you believed. And I'm so glad. And there's, there's letters going back and forth. And he's sending other people. He's sending Timothy. He's sending Titus. Everyone's going back and forth to make sure that the church is doing okay. This was important. And when there's bad teachers, he's telling them, you got to get them out. You got to get them out. Don't, 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 don't let the world and the culture and what, what, what the world is, is, is the ideologies of the world. Don't let that infiltrate the message of the gospel. And don't let, don't let the Judaizers come in and try to convert you back into becoming a Jew in order for you to get to Christ Jesus. No, no, that's not, that's not what. But of course we're going to be horrible Christians if all we do is sing songs. And shout about the presence of God, but then we're not taught to be sanctified. Then the song, what does the song mean? Right? What does the song mean? I give myself away. Right? I give myself away. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> so you can use me. And then when we get outside in the parking lot, we get, we get into our car with our husband and our spouse, and we are rotten. We have an attitude, we, and we destroy our children with our words, and we dishonor, and we devalue other people's humanity, and we mistreat people, and then we tell people, this is an excuse we say, well, I'm just like that, or we tell our kids, well, you know how I am, or we tell our spouses, that's just how, you met me, like, this is how you married me, right? That's the good. This is how you married me. It is probably how she married you. It is probably how you married him. And this is how probably you were as a parent. But in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. And that is our, those are our excuses. Those are our excuses to be sanctified and to become better. But in doing that, we are missing out on the life that God has created for us in Christ Jesus. And when we just say, I'm just like this, and I'm always going to be like this, and I was raised, you know, and I'm Puerto Rican. 
Yeah, those are the things we say. I'm, uh, this is how I am. This is how my this is how my mom was. This is how my dad talked to me. This is how it was in my house. And 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 now because of how it was in your house growing up, that justifies how you live in your house. Because your dad acted with no love, then automatically no in Christ you're a new creation. And eventually, we have to grow up. We got to be big boys, and we got to be big girls, and we got to take accountability for ourselves. Where am I? Okay. So, so then the question, so then how do I change, Pastor? And Pastor has to ask himself, how do I change too? So how do I change? Because this is hard. I got to try to act good. We started to speak about this. God is not trying to make a bad you good. He's not trying to make an old you new. No. I was crucified with Christ. I, the old man died. This is the premise of sanctification. He's not trying to redeem an old dog to teach him new tricks. You are a new dog in Christ Jesus, okay? You was a dirty dog before. But in Christ, you've been washed by the blood, and you are a new dog. You're a new creation. You're a new man. You're a new woman. You have a new mind. There's a new God who's living on you who wasn't living on you before. This is why you've been set free from the bondage of sin. This is why the prison doors are now open. This is why you're no longer a slave anymore because Christ Jesus now lives on the inside of you, and you are not who you are. That person died. That boy died. That girl died. You're new in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And it starts there. When you feel like sin and say, I'm new. When an opportunity comes, I got to tell myself, I'm new. It'll help. It really will. And God, you're with me and I'm new. That, and you say, that's not me anymore. I used to. I used to like to. I used to enjoy it was my escape. It's what made me happy. But I'm new. That's not me anymore. So how do I change? One, knowing that this is not behavior modification. This is internal transformation. Okay? It's not behavior modification first. This is internal transformation that as a result, the byproduct, of course, will be a new humanity will be a new behavior. It will not come out the same. You won't look the same. You won't sound the same. Why? Not because you start went from being bad to trying to be good. No, because the old you died, and there's a new person now that lives, and you live it in faith with Christ Jesus. So sanctification, write this down, is not behavior modification. Sanctification is internal transformation that in the end will be manifested differently in your behavior. What happens, the transformation that takes place down here will eventually start to flow from out here. It doesn't, God, God doesn't get more happy because you just try to be good and change your behavior on the outside. 
As a matter of fact, he told the Pharisees, he said, you guys clean the outside of the cup. On the outside, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, but on the inside, you are full of dead men bones. And he said, we got to clean what's on the inside. That matters to God. And from the inside, that'll flow to the outside. You ever seen people who wash dishes and they wash the outside of a cup? We hate you. We don't like you. Don't come to my house and wash any dishes. Pile them up on the counter. I'll get my five-year-old, four-year-old granddaughter to wash it. Don't touch any dishes. It's just nasty, right? It's just nasty. Like, just soap on the outside and water barely full on the inside, and you put it in with the clean dishes. That's nasty. Right? We wouldn't drink from it. Why would God? We wouldn't drink from it. Why would the world drink from people who go to church on Sundays, but then through the middle of the week, we're full of dead men's bones. There's dirt on the inside of us. The, 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 the spirit only touches the surface of our hearts and the surface of our lips. But inside, we're unforgiving, we're hateful, we're bitter, we're angry, and we got attitudes, and we tell everyone, I'm just like that. Of course no one wants to come to church. No one wants to sit next to me. No one wants to be your friend. That's why. Because we know a lot of songs, but we're nasty. <laughs> Got a lot of songs, worshiping, and we turn around, we cuss and snap at people. I don't even want to hear you sing your song no more. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Like, why we go to church for? If we're going to come in the car, you're going to kill each other. All right. So we're going to get ready to land this plane. Now I'm just going to read. I'm going to read so we can look at God's word. My media team in the back, you guys are the truth. You ready? We're going to do this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Here's, this is the church of Ephesus. Look what Paul says. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Look, in the futility of their mind. What does futility mean? The uselessness of their mind. The senselessness of their mind. Their depraved mind. What is a depraved mind? A mind that has, it's full of moral corruption. So we ask, how is this even possible? How do I change? Are you ready? We're going to get the answer. How this begins, if it's not behavior modification, it's eternal transformation, what does that mean? He goes, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being, who, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. What is lewdness? That just means filthiness, vulgar, uh, vulgarity, uh, profanity, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Did you notice anything in the verses that was similar? First, the futility of their mind. Their understanding darkened, darkened and the ignorance that is in them. What are those words all talking about? They're talking about a person's mental state. What leads to the lewdness and the uncleanliness and the greediness? What leads to that is the futility of the mind. 
if the mind is lost, the body is lost. This is what he's saying. You know how you get lewdness? You know how you get profanity? You know how you get uncleanness? You know how you get uh, greediness? You know how you get unforgiveness? It's, it's, it's here. Futile minds, understanding being darkened, and ignorance. He's going to address how do we change and how we fix this. But he's going to address it at the root. The root is not the behavior on the outside either. And so we just start doing good things on the outside, but not getting transformed internally. That's only going to last so long. So, so, his, so, so the way to resolve and to fix us is not just to change the lewdness on the outside and the profanity on the outside. It goes deeper. It goes into the root of man. And he's revealing something that the mind is futile and, 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 the, and the understanding is darkened and the mind is depraved and senseless. Look what he goes on to say. But you have not so, look, learned Christ. Where do you learn Christ? More than in your heart, you got to learn God in your mind. He's leading somewhere. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, where, where teaching really hits you, we think it hits us on the heart. But more importantly, it needs to hit you in your mind. Because one day you feel like a nut, one day you don't. One day you're in this to win this, the next day you feel like quitting. So more than, than the word being uh, received on the surface of your heart, it's got to go deeper. It has to go to the intent of the heart. And the intent of the heart is actually the mind. He goes, that you put off, verse 22, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. This old man. Verse 3, here's the answer. How do I change? How? Don't start with the behavior on the outside first. Look, how are we changed? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look, and that you put on the new man. The new man is coming from an enlightened mind, not a darkened one. A, a new man is coming not from a depraved mind, but one made righteous and sanctified. A new man is not coming from, from, from uh, being ignorant, but being conscious by what you've been taught of God. So you got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So how do I change? I want to tell you, it does not begin here. It begins here. Because most of us have been doing this here first. You know what Jeremiah said? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And, and, and the connotation is your heart will trick you. Your heart will lie to you. Your heart will deceive you. Some of us get, come in here and we get a worship song on and that gets in our heart. And we're like, oh, I'm good now. Be careful. Make sure your heart didn't trick you and play with your emotions and play with the buildup of the song and the breakdown. And then here comes Benji coming in in the background. And then here comes the second voice. And now we got, we, got the, you know, we got the second voice going. And right now they're in harmony. Don't be deceived in the heart. Get past the surface. Allow, it to get, allow the song to get past the surface of the heart and go into the mind. Because if it goes into the mind, when you leave here and your emotions stay here, it's still rooted in your your mind and you can still pull it in the time of need you can pull it when you're in trouble you can use it 
And it's not about you singing the song again to yourself in perfect key and harmony. You don't got David beating on those drums and you don't got Lewis playing, flicking at the bass. No, but you received something in your mind that has stayed with you and then you could get your feet firm. We got to go to church more than we like because I like going to church. You think I come to prayer at 7 o'clock in the morning because I like going to prayer at 7 o'clock in the morning? I told Pastor Daniel last night, I, I, I didn't say I hate going to prayer, but I said I hate waking up, right? I'm not here with my shirt buttoned and, and ready to go because I like it. Not that early. Some people, yes. Praise the Lord for you. But me, by nature, I'm not that person. And so sometimes people see you and like, oh, she just loves to praise God. No, I'm disciplined to praise God. My heart plays tricks on me all the time. Oh, you just love going to youth night. No, it's hard for me to go to youth night. I drive 20 miles at 6 o'clock in the worst traffic, and I got to be sanctified in my car, and I got to lay it all at the altar to try to receive a word from God so that when I go home, I love my wife and I love my kids so I could do it again on Friday. I don't love coming. But I'm disciplined in coming. Be careful that your heart doesn't play tricks on you. It will. It'll play tricks with you in church. It'll tell you that you're good with God. And you realize, and you won't even know how weak you really are. Romans 7, verse 18 to 19. For I know that in me, look at, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Don't lie to yourself. Look, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Anyone been there? I want to do this good thing, but I can't. And the evil thing that I don't want to do, that's the thing that I end up doing. And it's so important that we know what's going on here. This is how we're changed, more than here. Look how Proverbs writes this. For as a man thinks in his heart, that almost doesn't make sense. Because I thought I think with my brain. But as a man thinks in his heart, what the author is trying to get you to see is that it's really what's happening here. You got to really let what's happening here. Tell here. You got to put him in charge of him. Don't allow him to be in charge of him. Don't allow your feelings and your emotions to tell your mind what to do. Let your mind that's been renewed in Christ tell your heart what to do. Let the heart become under subjection to the mind that is given to us in Christ Jesus, not the other way around. Look, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6, he goes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Or in some translation, casting down uh, strongholds. Look, verse 5. Casting down, look at the motion, casting down, casting down 
arguments and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. What is showing you is a picture. Think of the passions of the heart. Think of the desires of the heart. Think of the lust of the heart. Think of the anger of the heart trying to rise up. He's saying that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And look, casting down. So emotion starts to come up. What is going to cast them down? It's the mind right here. So as arguments and desires and, and, and things, the inclinations of the heart start to rise up, allow the mind that is renewed in Christ to suppress and cast down. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the, look, knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, bringing every thought captive. What happens if you take someone captive? What do you do with a prisoner of war? You take them, you grab them, and you put them in a room, right? And you interrogate them. Why are you here? Where did you come from? And where are you going? That ever happened to you at the airport? <laughs> you flying somewhere, you coming in from another place, and all of a sudden they got you? They got a couple of questions. Who are you visiting? Where are you going? And what's your intentions of being here? And how long you plan on staying? Anyone ever been there? <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. Well, that's what the scripture is telling you to do with these foreign thoughts of the sinful nature. When they come into your mind, your spirit man needs to talk to your own nature and be like, what are you doing here? Where are you going? And how long do you think you're going to stay? Because I did not give you an invitation to be here. You got to take thoughts captive. Don't allow them just to run all over your mind, run all over your heart, run all over your... Because next thing you know, now your passions are leading you. Romans 8, 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds... Look, the minds, here we go. Look at the words. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit, who wants to live according to the Spirit? Then more than a song of the heart, it needs to be a song of the mind. More than a Bible reading plan of the heart, it needs to be a Bible reading plan of the mind. More than a discipline in your actions, it needs to be a discipline of the mind. For those, look, for to be carnally minded is death. To be carnally minded is death. We're talking about a new humanity in Christ Jesus, a life that's in him. There's no way, there's no way for any of us to experience a new life in God if we're carnally minded. And if we believe that, if you believe that, if the church allows that, we're lying to ourselves. To be carnally minded is to be waiting for death. I invite the worship team to come up. Look, but to be spiritually minded, look, spiritually minded, not spiritually hearted. You heard? Not spiritually hearted, not good hearted, not nice guy hearted. To be spiritually minded, spiritually minded, not good intentions, more than good intentions. Spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Look, because the carnal mind 
is enmity against God. You know what that means? It's against God. It's hostile towards God. The carnal mind is not in agreement with God. Not at all. Don't think your old man likes God. Don't think your, your old man likes God's word. Don't think your old man likes prayer. Don't think your old you likes to fast. It doesn't. The old you detests God. And the old you can't even submit itself to God. This is why God didn't try to redeem that old man. He killed that old man. Don't get distracted. They're doing their thing. Stay here. Spiritually minded. Look at this. Because the carnal mind is hostile against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Your old man cannot come to submission of God. This is saying your old man can't be saved. Your old man can't be saved. This is why God had to kill the sinful nature so that a new man could be resurrected. Jesus was one thing going into the tomb, but he came out something else. And so if you've been crucified and united in the likeness of his death, there's something else. And if, if the devil's been lying to you saying you're like this because it's been 30 years you're like this, know today that it's a lie. Today, embrace the truth of God's word and, 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 and expose Satan as the liar that he is. You do not have to be angry. You do not have to be resentful. You don't have to harbor hatred in your heart. You don't have to be envious and jealous of someone. You don't have to be covetous. You don't have to be bound to lust and desires. That was the old man. Look, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And the fleshy means the carnally minded cannot please God. But verse 9 He's going to scream this at you, and I want to scream it at you just so you hear it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells where? In you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice. They spoke about this in Bible study. How is something living in a sacrifice? The old man is the sacrifice that's dying, and it's the new man that's meant to be living. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not just a song. Not just a praise dance. Not just a shouting. The living of my new man. The dying of my old man. That is proper worship unto God. This is 
So do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, not external behavior modification, but internal mind transformation. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Let's define what some of that life is. Let's talk about what some of that old man is, and let's talk about what some of that new man is. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and his practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator here there is no gentile or jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian Scythian, slave or free but christ is all and is in all therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved cloth yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity all that negative stuff that was the old nature and maybe you weren't all of them and maybe I didn't have all of them but I definitely had some of them but the new man is for all of us I want to live a new life in Christ that's it right there that's some of the new not just going to church not just coming to church being a Christian is more than this there's not enough time for you to forgive everyone here. There's not enough time for you to be have humility and kindness and compassion and gentleness. It's not, it's not, it's not, not everyone gets a microphone. Not everyone gets to sing a song. Not everyone has an instrument. It goes so much deeper and further and beyond this. How do you exercise forgiveness unless someone has committed offense and now you're challenged to forgive them? See, it's easy to say I'm a new creation of Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God, when you're in church and you're not standing next to them. But how do you believe that truth when you're right there with them in the moment? No one can see envy in here unless God gives a revelation and then someone comes and talks to you and be like, hey, you got a spirit of... <laughs> God wants to just let you know about that so we can correct that, sister, brother. But you gotta deal with your own mind and your own heart when it comes to greed and covetousness. And you tell your sister, I'm so happy for you, and deep down you're not. 
Brother, I'm so glad that you made it. And deep down, you are jealous and envious that they made it. It's easy to clean up the surface. But God says, you're not who, that, who you were. There's a new man. You can be happy for someone who's made it. You don't have to be envious of how God's using someone. You don't have to be jealous of someone. You can forgive someone. And all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Look, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You're a new creation. Do you have peace? When Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly, he's talking about really living and feeling this stuff. More than feeling it on your heart, but in your being. There's no point in here just putting on a mask and pretending like you're happy and down, that deep down inside you are broken or destroyed and hurting. Peace is not something that we say. Peace is something that we experience. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Being thankful goes deeper. That goes to the intent of the heart. That goes deeper than a, than, than a clap of a hands because pastor said clap your hands right now or shout right now because the worship team said sing along. Thankful is down in here. Thankful is in here. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, through hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. sing and when we worship these songs yeah they're gonna touch us here they play on beat they got that nice atmosphere you feel that you feel that here but the goal is for it to get to open you up the gift of God God is gonna use them in their gift and we, this is why we practice too because we respect the gift God's given to us if you don't practice then don't sing right because then you did then you're not respecting the gift that God's given. Don't come up here and say, we, we honor the word of God, but you didn't read the Bible. <laughs> We're hoping that the Holy Ghost saves our worship set and saves our sermon. No, that's not respecting the gift. We respect the gift. We respect one another. I respect your time here. We respect each other's time here. And then we ask, we sing the songs, and we do what we can so that God then can do what we cannot do. And let his spirit go to the deep parts of our hearts and our minds and get in here and then really transform us from the inside out. And so I asked the worship team to come up here today, and they're going to sing a little bit. And I'm just going to ask that you just open up your heart and your mind more than anything. Maybe this song we'll be singing might be a place for you to surrender. Maybe it might be a place for us to ask for repentance. Maybe this song might stir us to go and ask someone for forgiveness. Maybe in this song it'll get into our mind and we'll be renewed and it'll break something on the deep down on the inside of us. So much could happen. But I invite you just to stand to your feet. If you feel comfortable, close your eyes. If not, I know someone got to wash the door for us. But I invite you to just have this moment this time with God as we sing songs and hymns from the Spirit 
with gratitude in our hearts. I pray that this moment will minister to you. We're not going to force it. I'm not going to manipulate it. I just want it to be you and God. And I trust that if our minds have been opened and we have been told and we're here, we surrender, that God can do something incredible with you and with us. God bless you guys. Thank you.